0: Good morning. It's good to see you guys out there. It's good to be here. Uh, Okay, so thus far, we are in a series on the church. We go to church to hear about what the church is. Uh, We have heard that the church is the family of God. Um, That body, that family into which we have been adopted. We've heard that the church is the body of Christ. That is the collection of those who had been buried with him in death uh, to be raised again from the dead and to be the hands and feet uh, to people in need all over this world. We've heard the church is uh, the temple of the Holy Spirit and that uh, the Spirit dwells within us, uh, making the Word of God alive and active in our lives and in the lives of others. We've heard that the church is the bride of Christ the one that is betrothed to the one and only husband that can keep her dress white and pure and longs for the day uh, t- that he will be with her. We've heard that the church is the army of God, and that is those that file down here in two lines uh, to get mess, chow, from the Lord's table, to grow strong, and to resist the schemes of the devil. We've heard the church is uh, the mother of believers, the one and the only mother uh, that we are born to, that nourishes us on the gospel of Christ and presents us to our Father in heaven. Today, we will hear about one that's kind of off the beaten path for us. Uh, We'll hear about how the church is a holy priesthood, and when we hear this phrase, we automatically think of 1 Peter 2, so that's where today's passage is coming from. The church. the church is a holy priesthood. Now, it begs the question, what do priests do? Does anybody know? In the Old Testament, we know that the priest is covered with what? Covered with blood and the stench of animals because the priest is the one that does that gruesome task of sacrificing, right? That's what priests did in the Old Testament. So today's sermon will be about priestly... Sacrifice. And as we all know, our favorite priestly sacrifice is the brisket smoked by none other than Zach Pommel. Yes, hands down, my favorite brisket, and I'd say at least a three, mile, or three, hour, three hour radius. Yeah, for sure. Um, and those of you that don't know, Zach's brisket is half salt, half pepper and all oak smoke, right? And that's about it. That's all it takes. Uh, What you don't know as you enjoy it and as the fat melts in your mouth, uh, you don't know that it takes, what would you say, about 18? How many hours? 18. (laughs) We'll call it 18. It's probably more like 20, okay? It takes many, many hours to smoke a brisket right, okay? Okay? Uh, so, all the times that we have enjoyed his briskets, um, it was the fruit of many an hour of labor, right? We all love the brisket that he makes, but if you knew how much trouble he went to to make it, um, you, might, you might not like it quite as much. Um, if you knew where the brisket came from, if you saw the cow at the slaughtering house, you might not like it quite as much. We love reaping the benefits of sacrifice. We love reaping the benefits of sacrifice, but we don't always like pondering the cost, right? I wonder, and I thought about this as I wrote the sermon this week. I wonder if you can remember a time that someone sacrificed a great deal for you, even more than a brisket. Can you remember, can you stop and think of a time when people sacrificed a great deal for you? I asked myself this on Monday, and it was really, really difficult to ask for some reason. It took me 15 to 20 minutes to think about that, which you wouldn't think would be the case. We think about, quite often, the sacrifice that at least one person made for us. We think about his sacrifice at this table every Sunday. But we don't always think about the sacrifices that others have made for us. And there have been many, if you're anything like me. We don't think about the sacrifices that others make for us because it costs so much. Perhaps we're, we're scared to think about these things because we know um, that we're scared. We're scared to think about owing somebody something. We're scared to think about how much we owe others that have been merciful toward us in our lives. I don't know. Maybe it's even harder when um, it's a debt that you could never repay, even if you had the rest of your life to work it off. For me, it's hard to recall because many things were sacrificed for me. Um, I was a foolish, foolish boy growing up. Uh, There's one that I continue to think about, and it was the first one that came to mind on Monday when I was thinking about this sermon, which is about sacrifice. The time that I think of uh, is when I was 15 years old. Um, I went to the Dillard's, the Dillard's at the Golden Triangle Mall in Denton, Texas. And if you've driven by, if you've driven up 35 uh, through Denton, you'll maybe be able to remember how pathetic the mall looks now. Uh, Back then, when we went to the mall, we knew we were going to town. It was a big thing. Uh, Today, it it looks kind of sorry. But back then, when I was 15, I went to Dillard's, and I had money in my pocket, and I was going to get something at Dillard's, but I wasn't going to pay for it. I was going to steal it. I stole a great many things from Dillard's. Uh, When I was 15 years old, I stole from other stores as well. But I stole a lot from Dillard's. I wasn't the only one, but I was definitely one of them. And so when I think about the things that have been sacrificed for me, and this may seem strange to you, but I think of being 15, being in Dillard's, going to get what I was going to get for free, uh, that ended up costing me a whole lot more uh, than it would have cost me had I paid for it. I remember the feeling of the heavy burly hand uh, being... ...laid on my shoulder as I was caught stealing from the Dillards at the Golden Triangle Mall. And I remember being taken into a room and arrested. I remember having cuffs put on. Um, I remember the shame that I felt when he took me into the room. uh, But it amounted to nothing compared to the shame that I felt when I called my mom and dad. Because, you see, I was 15... And so, I wasn't able to release myself, so of course, mom and dad had to be called. And I remember the shame that I felt uh, calling mom and dad to come get me. Uh, You see, my parents, probably a lot like you and your grandparents and your grandparents before you, they worked every day of their lives, and they never stole a dime from anyone, ever. Um... And so those were the people that I had to call and hope that they would come get me. And it wasn't until this week um, that that story became something different for me. Usually, if I did, which was very rare that I would think about it, but if I did think about this story, it was a story of shame for me. Um, Now, when I think of this story, when I have to write a sermon like this, I think, my goodness, I cannot believe they came And got me. I can't believe that they didn't just leave me there. They could have let me rot. Hours and hours and hours. But they came and got me like immediately. You know? It's wild. They sacrificed their pride, you see. To be associated with someone they would never associate with which happened to be their own son. Many things have been sacrificed for me, but that would be the one that comes to mind. We don't like owing people so much, do we? We don't like being beholden to people. I did not want to call. And even if they came to pick me up, I did not want to hear about it for the rest of my life. Which, by the way, they've never reminded me that they came and got me. We don't like being beholden to others. But it's sacrificial moments like this that teach us something really crucial. And here it is. Are you ready? Moments like this teach us that we need mercy. And... They teach us that the mercy we need is a mercy that we cannot afford. And when we receive unaffordable mercy like this, well, I think it's a kind of miracle that's worth remembering. I want you to keep that in mind as we think about today's passage. Today's passage is a passage about sacrifice, and it's a passage about mercy. Peter begins by likening his audience to stones that builders rejected as not being good enough to use. And if you have houses that are built out around you, we live in Wood Creek, and there are houses that are going up left and right. I would encourage you to drive by those lots because what you'll see are bricks that weren't fit to be used. So this passage will come alive if you, you see a house like that with bricks that have been rejected. That's what we are. Um, to understand this fully, to understand how we're living stones rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, to understand the entire epistle, really, you really need to understand that Peter wrote to people that were suffering, people that were already suffering. He wrote to the dispersion, to the diaspora, to the people that had been scattered to the winds, to people that were exiled. And surrounded by people that didn't like them very much and were being persecuted for their faith. That's who Peter wrote to. People that were suffering, even as Christ suffered and endured suffering for their sake. He was writing to chips off the old block. They were stones built off the cornerstone into a spiritual household. He's going to talk to them about what kind of household they are and that it's characterized As a priesthood, it should be characterized as a house of suffering, as a house of sacrifice. And he says all this to people that are already giving so much. So what kind of house should this be? What should it be known for? All houses are known for something, right? What should God's house be known for? It should be a house of priests. Priests, people set apart to make sacrifices, Spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Yes, we should be making sacrifices as people persecuted for our faith, which does happen even in our day, although in a different way. Peter has this in mind. You should be sacrificing the sacrifice of those persecuted, very much like some of the martyr lectures that man time is going through right now. But he has something else in mind as well. He has more in mind here. We should also be making sacrifices that proclaim the excellencies of him who called us. That is, the high priest that showed us mercy. We should be making sacrifices of mercy. But since Christ, we have not sacrificed animals other than brisket every now and again, right? So what should our sacrifices of mercy look like? This, I would say, is a central question of this passage, or at least the one we'll be thinking about today. What should our sacrifices look like? Our sacrifices should be acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. They should be sacrifices acceptable to our high priest. So I would assume sacrifices acceptable to our high priest would be the sacrifices, the kinds of sacrifices that our high priest makes. Which were what? What kinds of sacrifices did Christ make? Well, the author of Hebrews paints a beautiful picture for us to gaze at this morning. From chapters 9 and 13. And it goes like this. When Christ appeared as a high priest... ...of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? What kind of sacrifice did our high priest offer? He offered himself by his own blood. You see, Christ is high priest in the scriptures, but he's also the sacrifice, the lamb who was slain. He was an atonement. An atonement that we might be sprinkled clean. And we love to emphasize that in the Reformed tradition. But we can't stop there because his death was also an example to follow. And it talks about this in Hebrews 13, where it says this For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sins are burned outside the camp. So Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and share what you have. For such sacrifices... Are pleasing to God. So. We can draw near. Because we are sprinkled by his holy blood. We can go near him. Outside the camp. But why? We go near to him. To do what? To sacrifice. As he did. We go near to him. We approach him outside the gate. To lay our sacrifices. Alongside his. We go to bear the same reproach that he bore. The shame of making sacrifices for others in a selfish world. And I assure you, when you sacrifice yourself for others, you will be rebuked. You will be reproached. You will be made fun of. Why would you give to those? Why would you give yourself for these? That's the reproach he bore. And we will bear that reproach. We will offer those sacrifices in his name. And in so doing, we will proclaim his excellencies, the excellence of the one who has shown us mercy. We will do that by showing mercy to others. So Peter and the author of Hebrews agree. We must offer sacrifices in keeping with our high priest, We must proclaim as excellent the Lamb who is slain for the sins of the world. Another another way to think about it is that we must walk around just like John the Baptist did, pointing at the Lamb. We must show mercy, especially, especially we must show mercy to those who are denied mercy inside the camp. And who are they? Who needs mercy in our day? The widow, the orphan, both here and in India, the poor, the sojourner, the abused, the neglected, the lonely ones, the sick and dying, and those, even those labeled. Perpetual losers, failures, screw-ups in life. Me at 15. Well, what does sacrificing for people like that look like? Well, I don't want to give you a list of things to do this morning. You see, I see you for who you are. This is a very, very sacrificial church. I've never been in one like it, not even close. You already sacrificed so much, so I would not dare give you a list of things to do. But I'll tell you this, I would encourage you, I would encourage you to imagine new ways, new ways to distance yourself from the camp, new ways to go out and meet Christ on the edge of the world. Imagine new and daring ways to sacrifice and to bring praises to his excellent name. And I would encourage you to start by reflecting on the mercies that have been shown to you throughout life, of which I have no doubt there are many, though perhaps not as many as I've received. Sacrifice makes for a beautiful story. We love hearing sacrificial stories, especially when others are doing the sacrificing. But our hearts still object to the notion. And if I may, I think we probably wonder, why must we sacrifice ourselves? I know I do from time to time. And I think that's a good question to ask this morning. I'll tell you there are at least two reasons that we should. First, I would argue People need mercy in this world. People need mercy here and now. And if you don't see people that need mercy, I would challenge you to keep looking. You won't have to look long. The poor need our assistance. They do. If not us, then who? The lonely, they need our fellowship. If not us, then who? The sick, the sick, the elderly, they need our prayer. The failures, the failures, they need our patient reminder that in Christ they are victorious in spite of every single thing the world would tell them. People need our help. And the other thing is that we need a wake up call from time to time. We need a wake-up call to do away with our idols. Because you see, we do sacrifice. We sacrifice plenty. But we don't always sacrifice in the name of Jesus. Quite often we sacrifice in other names. We need a wake-up call. And the needs of others provide us with that very thing. Christ's call to sacrifice, it cannot be denied. It competes with the sacrifices that we make to our idols. So the call to sacrifice, the opportunity when it arises, it allows us to re-examine our hearts. It allows us the opportunity to take Christ more seriously in a costly way. And of course, it offers us the opportunity to show mercy to those who will not be shown mercy. And so to proclaim the excellencies of Christ Jesus But our hearts object. The needy aren't worth my sacrifices. If you show up next week, I'll give you a good example of when I thought that. You have to wait till next week. We do think it though, right? The needy are not worth it. And why should I sacrifice my comfort for their need? Sometimes I wonder that too. But Christ teaches me and teaches you. Before he even gets here, just by merit of him coming from heaven to earth, he teaches us. Mercy is never deserved, is it? But it's always given. It's always given in his name. This is why Christ didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient even to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, let us have this mind among us, which is ours in Christ Jesus. Let us do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than ourselves. Let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. Still we secretly believe I would argue that priesthood is about privilege, not sacrifice. Priesthood, you see, in our mind and in our heart of hearts, can be so much like a backstage pass to get to see the big rock star, to get to spend a little time with him, a couple of selfies, and us on our way. Now, I joke a little harshly, I admit Because there is some truth to this. We are privileged. We are privileged to access God directly through Christ Jesus, our high priest. It is true. But, I want you to remember, the priesthood of privilege has always led to abuses in the history of God's people. Every time. Corruption in the Old Testament. What did it start with? Ignoring those Who needed mercy. Corruption in the New Testament. What did it start with? A priesthood of privilege. That ignored those who needed mercy. Corruption in the medieval church. What did it start with? A priesthood of privilege. That ignored the cries. The needs for mercy. And I would also point out. That a priesthood of privilege. Fails to proclaim The high priest's work. And it works like this. When we fail to sacrifice, we fail to proclaim Christ's sacrifice. When we fail to show mercy, we fail to proclaim the mercy we have in Christ Jesus, our high priest. We must remember, we are privileged, to be sure. But our privilege exists for this responsibility and that is to join Christ outside the camp and to lay our sacrifices next to his. We must remember Hebrews Hebrews 13. Jesus suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. Through him, then, let us continually offer up sacrifices of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name, Do not neglect to do good and share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing. They're pleasing to the Lord. These are the things he longs and loves to see. Last but not least, many of us object to sacrifice. We object because it is an awful thing to behold. After all, the priests in the Old Testament, what were they covered with? They were covered with blood and the stink of animals. Theirs was a privilege of a kind, a privilege to join God in that work. Sacrifice is gruesome, and we struggle with it. We struggle out of a fear, a fear that runs deep. We have a fear of being made fun of when we sacrifice ourselves for others. We have a fear of being rebuked and looked at as being fanatics in this world, but even more so, we have a fear of being consumed by the needs and lives of others, many of which are messy, and many of which are all-consuming, and we fear being sucked into something like that and not being able to get out. We have a fear of failing others, even people we love. Even in their moment of utmost need. And in our heart of hearts it feels all too easy and safe to say no. And to stay inside the camp. True mercy always comes at a cost. And I think deep down we know that. But the apostles call us in fear to remember something. He he calls us to remember this. Once we were not a people... But now we are God's people. Once we had not received mercy, but we now have received mercy in Christ Jesus. We must remember, you see, as unpleasant as it might be to reflect on the cost, we must remember the cost of the sacrifices, the mercy that has been shown to us by Christ By Christ and by those who have shown us mercy in our daily lives. Because it was them showing us mercy that in our heart of hearts told us that the mercy that the gospel proclaims in Christ's name is true. There is such a God. I believe it. I believe it because others have shown me mercy in a merciless world. We must reflect on those unpleasant stories. And for me, it will mean this. Remembering my one phone call. Not wanting to call Ken and Molly Swindle, but calling them all the same and saying, I got caught. I got caught doing wrong. The wrongest wrong that you can think of. That's what I got caught doing. And I need help. I need you to come get me. I need you to help me be released. For me, it means remembering my one phone call. But you know what? What that means is when you call me, wherever it is, I will answer. And I promise I will show up. Because I know what that feels like. The apostle wants us to remember that we were not a people of mercy, but we now are a people of mercy. And the apostles call us, Not only to look back, but to look forward as well. For here we have no lasting city. Drill that into your minds and hearts. Here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Where the need for sacrifice will pass away in the presence of our glorious and holy high priest. For in Christ God has laid a foundation in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious... And those who believe in him, those who lay their sacrifices next to his will not be put to shame. For the heavens and earth will pass away and the sea around it, and the holy city of the new Jerusalem will come out of the heavens from God, prepared as a bride for her husband. Behold, the dwelling place of God will be with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and he will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things will pass away in the presence of our high priest. And in the meantime, I'm reminded of a stanza from a song that we sing called, I Shall Not Want. It goes like this. From the fear of serving others and from the fear of death or trial. And from the fear of humility, deliver me, O God. Yes, deliver me, O God. And I shall not want. I shall not want. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want. When I taste your goodness, I shall not want. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Let us pray. O Lord, save us from the fear of sacrifice, from the fear of serving others, from the fear of giving ourselves to those in need of mercy. Save us from our objections that we would not be selfish, the most to be pitied. Save us from the fear of humility reminding us ever and always in our heart of hearts that Christ for our sake became poor, that we might become rich indeed. Teach us to meet him outside the camp, to lay our sacrifices next to his, that we might join him in the city to come, where the sacrifice will pass away in the presence of Jesus, our great high priest. In his name we pray, amen.